You're listening to In the Studio with Michael Card. The session is made possible by our friends with the Christian Standard Bible. Learn about this new translation and the many ways you can enjoy the CSB. Explore online when you visit csbible.com. This is In the Studio with Michael Card. Welcome. I'm Wayne Shepard. And Michael, you've been on the go. I've been uh, tracking you online. You've been, uh, well, for instance, we're going to talk with Mark Camby coming up in the second half of our program today. You were with Mark recently. I was for a whole week up in uh, Mount Morris, New York, way, way far away. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I've never been to that part of the country. I understand it's quite interesting, quite beautiful. It's really it's it's close to the Finger Lakes area up in New York State. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous place. Yeah, and we'll talk more about what Lamplighter is and and Mark Hamby of Lamplighter Ministries because Mark will join us here in the second yeah. half of the program today. Uh, our featured resource is the CSB Commentary Series. Uh, commentaries are something that uh, I know that you've used in your study through the years. Definitely. This is uh, we talked about this last week on the program actually, but this commentary series is pretty unique. Yeah, the CSB is a u- unique translation. Um, usually, uh, like with NIV, I don't know we, you and I probably think in NIV Wayne where that was our from our yeah. era. And I think in King James, actually. But oh, yes. you do? Well, okay. okay. Well, I, I, I was giving you an opening for an age joke there, well, Michael. I, I, I tend to think in the original Hebrew and Greek, but... Oh, yeah. okay. All right. <laughs> well, like the Apostle Paul, I use the King James. Yeah, so. okay. <laughs> but what I was going to say before we degenerated it into silliness is that uh, CSB is a really unique translation um, that... Uh, a translation like NIV, there's the 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 uh, the presupposition that it's going to be the most readable, and that's one of the things we love about yes. NIV. It's so readable. Um, CSB didn't have one overriding, um, you know, presupposition or goal, uh, and so sometimes it's mm-hmm. it's it, it's not very smooth. When the text isn't smooth, the CSB isn't very smooth. I think. Uh, they they did a wonderful job of uh, of giving us a fresh translation of both the uh, Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. That's really interesting. And in all seriousness, I do use the CSB myself. So uh-huh. uh, let me heartily recommend this to our listeners: the CSB Commentary series. Um, coming up in a moment, we're going to go back and hear a recording of you at the Cove. The Billy Graham Evangelistic Association has the Cove Conference Center in Asheville. Mm-hmm. You were there teaching. We're going to hear a portion of that uh, from the book of Mark you were teaching. You mentioned the Fayoum portraits. Do you want to explain that before we, we hear the teaching today? Yeah. Um, in, in Egypt in the first century, um, it was the custom to have, when you were you know alive, to have your portrait painted. And this portrait would hang in your house and, you know, but what they would do when, when you uh, passed away is they would use this portrait and they would put it on your mummy. So they're referred to as mummy portraits. And they found hundreds <clears throat> of these things. And what, what's so wonderful is that it's a, it's a chance to look into the faces of all these first century people. And there's one wow. in particular. He was a, he was a Jewish soldier uh, who, you know, for me, it's the picture I use when I try to imagine what Jesus 
face must have been like. Uh, so I think the, these Fayoum portraits are, are really important. They, they, you're looking right into the face of a first century person. All right. Well, that'll come up in the teaching. I wanted you to mention that. Yeah. Let's get started, though, musically with your song recorded in the studio, This Is Who You Are, and then we'll hear that at the beginning of that series from The Cove with Michael Card. Misunderstood and undefined A stranger to myself Incarnate contradiction I am poverty and wealth I can believe in disbelief I can bless and I condemn I'm dying in the darkness Of not knowing who I am Then rising like the morning sun The light begins to speak In a voice that's vastly strong And still so infinitely weak It's roaring like a lion And it whispers like a lamb It's thundering that who you are Is wrapped in who I am kingdom, you're the sorrowful, the meek, the gentle starving ones who are the strongest when you're weak, you're always making peace each time, you suffer for what's right, you freely offer mercy from a heart I filled with light. He gives a new identity That's grounded in the kingdom And a new reality It's found in loving kindness And a mercy that is free You can become the child That you were always meant to be through the seasoning of your life remember when the darkness looms you were meant to be the light a light that can't be hidden or we'll see it from afar this is who you are picture up there. That's my favorite picture. That is not a picture of Jesus. It's not. That is a, a mummy portrait from Fayum, Egypt, of a first century Jewish uh, male. It just happens to look like Jesus. And uh, 
He, he, was, he was actually a soldier, I think. In, uh, in th that culture, they would paint your portrait at a certain point in your life, and you'd hang it on the wall, and then when you died, they would put it on your, your mummy. So uh, you look up F-A-Y-O-U-M, Fayum, and there are hundreds of these things, and they're fascinating uh, to see these, these, uh, these ancient faces. And I've asked him to leave, leave that up, because I do love, I mean, I have that on my notebook. I, I, it's kind of my image of who, when I, when I imagine Jesus in my head, I sort of, I sort of see that. And we're going we're gonna to look at the details of why, why that's an accurate picture here in a minute, even the hair length and the, the whole thing, every detail. So we're going to look at uh, his emotional life. We're going to look at um, uh, the messianic secret. We're going to look at his miracles. Um, I'm looking at the list here, uh, how his parables work. His dark sayings, his difficult sayings, his vocabulary. You're gonna look at his the the words he uses most often. Let me start with three sidebars that that will explain why uh, we're we're focusing on this particular aspect uh, of his life. The first one is a young young woman named Rachel Hutcherson. Uh, I was teaching a Life of Jesus class in Rapid City, South Dakota, and uh, I uh, college age class, and uh, I assigned them a paper. And you would think I was, you know, wanting a quart of blood or something, right? They're all groaning. And uh, after class, this young woman comes up and she goes, uh, I'm going to drop the class. I'm a math major. I don't even know why I took this class. I said, oh, you're a math major, huh? I said, okay, you don't have to write a paper. I said, all I want from you is a number. I said, I've always wondered what percentage of Jesus' life is in the Gospels. Well, boy, she, that lit her her enthusiasm, she, 10, 15 pages. She spends 10, 15 pages calculating um, in minutes how long each episode in the Gospels was. I mean, she's a math, math person. She, you know, she just wore it out. Adds the time together, divides it into three years, and she comes up with this number, 0 .09, 0 .09. She said it this way. She said, if Jesus' life is $100, we have nine cents of it. Now, that is a powerful idea. Now, I believe in the perfection of Scripture. You're probably here because you do too. I think it's the perfect number. What if we had 50%? We couldn't deal. We can't deal with 0 .09, right? So uh, that's, that's the first, uh, first sidebar is Rachel and 0 .09 and how, how little we actually know. Second uh, sidebar, and this actually happened in this room. Uh, once um, uh, a woman asked me, do we know how many brothers Jesus had? And I, I didn't know. I mean, shame on me. I didn't know. I'm teaching the class. And uh, lo and behold, Matthew 13, 55 and Luke 6, 3, he has four brothers and we know their names, right? And at that point, I couldn't have named his brothers, but now I, I talking talk about details from his life. You know, he has a brother named Joseph. You know, there's a brother who's named after his father. That makes sense. He has a brother named Simon, because everyone's named Simon, right? Uh, he has a brother named Jude. We know about Jude. And we ha he has a brother named James. He's the one we, we all know about. But um, when she asked me that question, and I didn't, I didn't know that answer. And he has sisters, but we don't know how many sisters, but at least two. I decided... In that moment, in this room, I'm going to learn every detail there is to know about the life of Jesus. And it's going to take the rest of my life to do it. But that's, and that's why you're, you're being dragged into this with me, so you're welcome. 
Um, so that's the second sidebar, and this is the, this is the final one. I'm, uh, I'm in Jerusalem. I, I go to Israel every year. Oh, we have a, a good friend there who's a rabbinic student who will close his shop and put out chairs, and we can ask questions. So I'm talking to Moshe, and I'm trying to impress Moshe with my vast knowledge of Judaism, right? And I said, well, you know that Jesus... Uh, went to uh, Jerusalem for the festivals, the three festival feasts. By law, you, if you live within 25 miles of Jerusalem, you're supposed to go to the city to celebrate uh, tabernacles and Pentecost and Passover. Those, those are the three, Shalash Relegim, the big, the big three feasts. And Moshe says to me, yeah, but what does that mean? And it completely got under my skin. Well, what do you mean? What does it mean? He goes, what does it mean? And his, his answer was, well, it means that he spends three months out of every year walking back and forth to Jerusalem. Because he lives 100 miles away from Jerusalem. He's a long way to walk. When Moshe taught me that sort of paradigm of you don't just find out the details, but you ask what the details mean, that really lit my, that lit my fuse. I'm very excited about this idea. You're taking the details of Jesus' life like... Why does Judas kiss him? Well, Judas kisses him because he's unrecognizable. He has to be pointed out. He looks just like everybody else. Those are the three sidebars that kind of got me to this. Rachel's .09. Here's another quick sidebar. In terms of the details of Jesus' life, we have uh, some 200 excavations of first century Jewish uh, male graves. And they, um, the, the average height, I guess they measure the bones, the average height is five foot six. Okay, that's here. Okay, so that's how tall Jesus probably average height, five foot six. And you think, well, Jesus is short. No, everyone's short <laughs> if he's average. Average hair length when they found hair was three inches. So no, no, this long Jesus picture hair, but probably short. Which is why I like this picture because what do you see? That's about three inches, right? That looks accurate to me. So I'm excited about that picture. His friends probably called him Yeshu. That was kind of the short, short and familiar form of uh, Yeshua. Later, the rabbis turned that into an acronym, Yemak Shemo Vazi Kro, which means may his name and memory be blotted out. So rabbis weren't real thrilled with Yeshu. They made a, a bad acronym out of it. He probably speaks three languages. Uh, certainly speaks Aramaic because everyone speaks Aramaic, but he speaks Galilean Aramaic. Uh, he also speaks Hebrew because Hebrew is the language that's been reborn and brought back to life that they uh, speak in the synagogue. Uh, eventually, Aramaic wins out and they, have, they retranslate the Hebrew scriptures into Aramaic. We have targums and that sort of thing. But in Jesus' day, and we're going we're gonna to see what a crucial moment in history Jesus is, is living. We're going to see that a little later on today. But he speaks uh, Aramaic with a Galilean accent. Um, he speaks Hebrew, and he speaks Greek. When he's, speaking to, when he's talking to Pilate, he's speaking Greek. When he's talking to the Syrophoenician woman, he's speaking Greek. But he's speaking Galilean Koine Greek, not just standard Greek, not even just standard Koine Greek that we have in the New Testament. Uh, but there are certain syllables that Jesus doesn't pronounce or can't pronounce. And uh, we're going to talk more about that in a minute. The rabbis, the Judean rabbis make fun of Galileans, the way they talk. They won't get, let Galileans read scripture in the synagogue because of the way they talk. Now that's an interesting fact, but what does that mean? That means that Jesus grows up and all of his Galilean you know, compatriots grow up under this cloud. Uh, 
They recognize Peter by his accent. You're a Galilean. I can tell by the way you talk. He wears a short knee-length tunic of natural color. You don't dye things. And with a mantle over that, a talith, which got uh, fringes on it, we know, because they were reaching out and touching them. But no earlocks. That's not till much later. And no yarmulke. That's not till much later. Okay, so. And again, there's my picture. And all of that, uh, I think, portrays a pretty accurate picture. Uh, image. Now let me, let me warn you. Let me open with a warning. I'm warning myself this too because I actually got caught up in this. You can know a lot of details about Jesus and not know him. I've been working on this for about two years and there came a point about a year ago when I really felt farther from Jesus than I ever had. I was working so hard on all the details and what he wore and what he looked like and how long his hair was and what color his eyes would be and what languages he spoke, and I just got out of touch with him. So uh, there's a difference between knowing the details about a person uh, and, and actually knowing them, but I still think it can be an act of love and devotion for us to, to pursue this. I want to know everything about, I can know about Jesus because I love him. And, and why do I love him? Because he first loved me, right? And there, there are different kinds of details. We're going to look at different, different details, but there are different kinds of details. There's some details that have obvious meaning. I mean, when, when, the, when it gets dark and there's an earthquake, when Jesus is crucified, that's fairly obvious, right? That detail's fairly obvious, what that means. Sometimes details are just uh, an, uh, an aspect of it being an eyewitness account, we try to break, make meaning out of them, but there really isn't meaning. When, when John tells us that Jesus is, uh, that the boat's 100 yards from Second Miraculous Catch of Fish in John 21, that the boat's 100 yards from shore, that doesn't mean anything, but you hear people that'll try to extrapolate something out of that. It's just an eyewitness detail so that you can be there and, and engage with your imagination. Um, you tell me the, the detail... Uh, the, in, in the, the tomb after, um, after the resurrection, that, that the, the, the face cloth, the sudorion it's called, sudor is a Greek word for, for sweat, the cloth that was around his head is folded up and laid separately. Now there's an old teaching that, because King James falsely translates that word napkin, it's not a napkin, it's a, it's a sweat cloth, but there's this teaching that if you folded up your napkin, it was an indication that you were going to come back, and so that's, that's what that detail means. I don't, think that's, I don't think that's accurate. Again, I'm not sure that detail means anything other than an eyewitness looked into the tomb and saw that someone had actually taken the cloth, or maybe Jesus did it, and folded it up. Maybe it marks an absence of haste. I don't know. I'm still struggling with that one. But I think the napkin, I, think that, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't buy that. And then there are, those, there are those details that we still need to work on and ask what they mean. And that's the wonderful thing about all of us together coming around, uh, around the Word together. You, you'll see things that I'll never see. You'll figure things out that I, I, I never figured out. Okay, let's talk about Mark. Mark's the first gospel written right at the fire in Rome. And so who is Mark? That's our first question. Who is Mark? Well, Mark is an extraordinarily privileged young man. He's the nephew or cousin, we don't know exactly how to translate that word, of Barnabas. Come on. Uh, he's a disciple of Jesus. He lived in Jerusalem uh, with his mother, who was named Mary. That's Acts 12.12. 12. And he was a leader in the Jerusalem church. 
um, there was a group of Christians meeting in his home. In fact, they were meeting in Mark's house to pray for Peter. Uh, in fact, that's the first time I think we hear his name. Um, I'm convinced. Uh, you know my academic reason for being convinced of this? I really want it to be this way. That's my academic reason. I'm convinced that the, the Lord's Supper was at Mark's house. I think that was their base in Jerusalem. I just think that's a really cool idea. And uh, uh, I really want that to be true. Some scholars believe that he, he, he makes a little uh, appearance in, the, in his gospel in chapter 14, if you know the moment I mean. Uh, whenever I'm teaching high school students, uh, I'll say, you know, I want you to read all the gospel except Mark. You can't read Mark. There's nudity in it. So, of course, then you hear your pages. But the, the young man who's grabbed, you know, they grab his linen coat and he, he spins away, runs away naked. Um, why is that detail there? Well, that's Mark. I think that happened to him. And I've heard wonderful reconstructions of the fact that the trail, the, the path they would have taken to go out to Gethsemane would have gone right past Mark's house. So he hears the soldiers go by. He jumps up out of bed, wraps a sheet around him, runs, runs to warn, uh, warn Jesus, warn the disciples. He travels uh, with Barnabas and Paul on their famine ministry. That's in Acts 11, 27 to 30. Um, but you know they had this argument. Um, he left them at Perga and returned home. He just he had enough and he wanted to go back home. Um, this later caused a division between Paul and uh, Barnabas and Paul. That was Mark that they were um, upset and, and uh, they, they parted ways over. Um, and from that, that point on, it's Paul and Silas and Barnabas and Mark. Um, however, when he died, Paul acknowledged Mark's ministry and spoke highly of him. So they, they worked that out. Um, but the most important thing you need to know about Mark is that he is a close, confidant, disciple of Peter. The gospel of Mark is Peter's gospel. It's the gospel of Peter. Uh, we were told by an uh, early church historian, Eusebius, that the, uh, the, 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 the followers of Jesus in Rome, they went to Mark, who was Peter's disciples, and they said, please write down Peter's account of the life of Jesus. And uh, one of the fun things to do is read Mark and look for uh, Peter's, uh, Peter's uh, fingerprint one of the most, and we'll see, we'll look at this, one of the most interesting aspects is that Jesus is far more emotional in Mark than any of the other Gospels. Mark is such a short Gospel, but he gets madder in Mark, and he, you know, he sighs deeply and all this kind of stuff. That's only in, you know, only in Mark, and that's because Peter was on the receiving end of Jesus' uh, emotions, I think, um, more than... Uh, more than any of the other disciples. The life situation, so that's who Mark is. Extraordinary man, young man. Um, the life situation is reflected in Peter's, Peter's writing. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that break. Have you ever seen that break in 1 Peter? Um, when the fire in Rome happens. Do you, do you know this? or do, um, I don't want to tell you something you don't know. But there's a wonderful... Um, Little P.S. that happens at the end, at the end of First Peter's. Um, this is uh, you don't have to look it up. I'll read it to you. This is First Peter. Uh, this is the original ending of Peter. First Peter. Okay. First Peter, four, uh, eleven. If anyone speaks, uh, let it be 
as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And everything to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. That sounds like the ending of a letter to me, doesn't it? It starts up again. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you. What's happened? Peter's heard about the fire in Rome. That's the life situation of the Gospel of Mark. Christians were, uh, Nero set that fire. He was going to clear an area of Rome and he was going to build a golden palace. But the fire got out of control and burned 11 of the 14 districts to the ground. And guess who they blamed? Christians. And that's when Christian persecution became a reality. And that's why the Gospel of Mark is so important. Mark wants you to know, you suffering Christians in Rome, uh, he wants you to know you're never going to suffer anything that Jesus hasn't already suffered. Right? So that's a, a big part of the life situation uh, of, of Rome. One of, the, one of the wonderful examples is uh, the, in 113 that Jesus in the, in the wilderness. Mark is not interested in that story. You know, there's no threefold temptation. There's no, you know, where Satan, you know, takes Jesus up on the top of the temple and various things, turning the stones into bread. That's not in Mark. There's one detail about the, the, the Jesus in the wilderness that um, only Mark has. And Mark says, when Jesus was in the wilderness, he was with the wild beasts. Now, why do you think only Mark tells us that detail? What's happening to the first Christians in the arena in Rome? They're being thrown to wild beasts. And Mark, Mark wants them to know you're not going to experience anything that Jesus hasn't already experienced. So that's, that's a wonderful, uh, wonderful detail. Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly While the nearer waters roll, while the tempest still is high Hide me, O oh my Savior, hide till the storm of life is past Safe into that haven guide, O oh, receive my soul at last Other refuge have I none Hangs my helpless soul on thee. Leave, oh, leave me not alone. Still support and comfort me. All my trust in thee is stayed. All my help from thee I bring. Cover my defenseless head with the shadow of thy wing. Thou, O oh Christ, art all I want. More than all in thee I find. Raise the fallen, cheer the faint, heal the sick and lead the blind. Just and holy is thy name. I am all unrighteousness, false and full of sin am I. Thou art full of truth and grace. Sin. Let the healing streams abound. 
forsake and keep me pure within. Thou of life, the fountain art, freely let me drink of thee. Spring thou up within my heart, rise to all eternity, rise to all eternity. studio recording of Michael Card singing Jesus, Lover of My Soul with our friend John Ketchings, of course. Who else? Yes. Playing the cello there. Yeah, who else, huh? Wonderful to hear John play. This series, which we heard today, is just the start. Uh, there's much more, and we're going to hear in the days ahead here in the podcast, this yeah, introduction to, uh, to the book of Mark. So that'll be coming up in the weeks ahead here on the podcast, so listen for that. But thank you for all of this, Michael. Thanks for the opportunity to bring it to our listeners. We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, Mark Hamby will join us of Lamplighter Ministries. And Michael's excited because you were just with Mark for an entire week. And the two of you can really share a lot with us here. So we'll get after that in just a couple of minutes here in the studio with Michael Card. In the meantime, our website, of course, is michaelcard.com. Michael's book, The Nazarene, is there on the website, which is uh, the, the source for some of the material we just heard from Michael at the Cove. So look for that book, The Nazarene, from Michael Card. michaelcard.com. This month, we're excited to point you to a study tool that is a little different. It's the Christian Standard Commentary Series. You'll find the work of many noted scholars who offer their researched insights balanced with real-world applications. Search for the Christian Standard Commentary at csbible.com and explore the various Bible books that are now available in this series for your enriched personal study. Many fine Bible scholars have contributed their examination and analysis of the Bible, and now you can benefit from their years of study. There are many books in this series to choose from. This could be a great opportunity for you to jump into a more focused approach to learning the meaning behind the Scriptures. When you purchase this powerful discipleship tool, type CARD40 without spaces in the promotion code to receive your 40% discount from LifeWay. Search for The Christian Standard Commentary now at csbible.com. I hope you take the next step in serious Bible study. Michael, I so appreciate the depth and the richness of the Bible study that you bring to us here on the podcast, and I appreciate the depth of our listeners who respond. Here's a note from a listener named Rob, and we don't have time to read the entire note, but he says, thanks for another great teaching from the scriptures. Your comments on thinking Hebraically, and more importantly, scripturally, are crucial, as you've pointed out. Jesus points out the fishing of men in Jeremiah 16 hearkens to the prophetic, as you note. Consider that the amazement and astonishment of Luke does this as well. He says one more thing, astonishment is present in all of the gospels, but as you note, it seems to be special to Luke. Yeah, and 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 I, what I've learned to do is ask, what does that mean? And what that means is, we know that Luke wasn't an eyewitness. What that means is that that as Luke interviews these eyewitnesses years later, they're still astonished. The consistent thing that he hears <laughs> from all these people is, you know, it was amazing to see Jesus. They're still they're talking about it all these years later, and they're just astonished. But right. he goes yeah. on to say, uh, it seems in this way Luke is setting us up a prophetic understanding that in Christ the Shekinah of God is made flesh and dwells among us, and that those who are his disciples deliver, express, and extend an authorized witness to him, 
pointing always to Christ, who is the glory of God, the pierced Messiah. Anyhow, your teaching inspired these thoughts as I strive to think scripturally, covenantly, Hebraically. Wow. I think uh, maybe we need to have Ron on the program. I think he's uh, he's uh, he's thinking more biblically than we are in some ways. <laughs> well, again, it's great to hear from listeners. You can always contact us directly through our email address in the studio at michaelcard.com or through the website michaelcard.com. We're going to hear from Mark Hamby in just a moment here, and looking forward to that conversation. But first, Michael's going to sing this song recorded here in the studio, The Paradigm. He is poor, he is blind, he will be a paradigm One of Jesus' greatest finds there beside the road Calling out, he has the nerve to want what he does not deserve All the beggars begging for mercy from the Lord So come all you beggars up on your feet Take courage, he's calling to you to surrender your striving and find the nerve To boldly ask for what you don't deserve A timeless moment caught in time The beggar leaves it all behind Then the perfect paradigm calls Jesus by name Calling out on his knees with one request he wants to see and he could see immediately when Jesus said go so come all you beggars up on your feet take courage he's calling to you to surrender your striving and find the nerve to boldly ask for what you don't deserve Beautiful. Michael Card in the studio, The Paradigm. Michael, I can only see you on our Zoom camera right now, but you have sort of a creative upstate New York glow about you right now. Yeah. Why, well, why is that? I, I was up there amongst all those Yankees for like a whole week <laughs> and uh, trying to communicate. You know, they, they speak so differently up there than we do down here. Uh, but I had a good time. I was up there yeah. with lamplighters and uh, spent a week teaching a group of remarkable young college students uh, who were hungry for the Scripture and wanted to talk about Jesus. And their uh, their infamous leader uh, we have with us on the show right now. That would be Mark Hamby. Welcome, Mark. Hey, welcome, Wayne and Mike. So do, do you find that you're really, I mean, after I've been there for a whole week, are you really struggling to get along now that I'm gone? <laughs> Goodness, goodness <laughs> sakes. Yeah. What, what are we going to do? We're talking about you, that's for sure. Well, I'm glad you have such a high opinion of yourself. That's yeah. awesome. Yes. <laughs> well, Come on, Mark. We, want, we uh, want the skinny on what it's really like to hang out for a whole week with Michael. No, what I want to hear him explain, because I'm still trying to understand, are all the different things that Lamplighter Ministry does. I mean, oh, they yeah. publish, yeah. they have drama, they have... I mean, give us a quick overview, Mark, of everything that you guys do. Everything we do, Mike, is a result of Jesus coming into my life in an explosive way. That's really the only way I can describe what we do and why we do it. 
You know, isn't, isn't our lives just a reflection of what Jesus is like inside of us? Amen. I hope. So when I got saved, when I got saved, I never, had never read a book in my life. I hated to read. read. Reading to me was like throwing up. And the first book that I read was the Bible. I read it from Revelation to Genesis. I fell in love with it. I couldn't put it down. And then after that, someone gave me some biographies to read, and then some books from the 16, 1700s. I read them. They were filled with Scripture. And my life was changing. I, I didn't, my character level was so low when I first got saved at 22 that these books were transforming my life. I had, I had you know, characters that I could follow, you know, heroes and heroines, and, and they were living by faith. And, and so my first, like, two years of being saved, you know, God was just infusing my life with new truth that I had never seen before. And now I'm seeing it lived out, not only through the Bible, but through these extraordinary books. And then God would then allow me, as I started growing in the Lord, he allowed me to become a publisher, you know? And so we started, the reason why, this is so funny, everywhere I'd go, if I was reading a book that week, I'd say, this is the best book I've ever read in my life. And after 10 years, people were saying like, you said this other book was the best book you've ever read in your life. And it's like, every book I read was the best book I've ever read in my life. And and it was just inevitable that one day I was speaking at a conference, and uh, I was telling everyone about this book that I read. It's from the 1700s, The Basket of Flowers. And, uh, and I'm telling people about the story. In fact, I'm quoting, like, whole paragraphs, and someone shouts out, publish the book! And I'm thinking, like, well, there's a unique idea. I never thought of that. You know, and Debbie and I talked about it. We didn't have any money, but we took a step in faith, printed the book, in that year, we sold 2,000 of those books, and Lamplighter Publishing was birthed. That's how Lamplighter Publishing got started. Let me say, too, that the books that Lamplighter publishes are these beautiful collector's editions. The, the covers and the, the printing is just gorgeous. You know, and the reason for that is because, you know, when I'm looking at God, the way He created His creation, He held nothing back, and I'm th- thinking, like, I could easily make a lot more money by putting this in soft cover, but they don't reflect you know, craftsmanship and beauty, you know, and so we decided to go with hardcover like they really were in the 17, 1800s, and, you know, and and we say you can judge a book by its cover, and so people seem to just love uh, the books like that. Mark, let me ask you, you are so much more than that. That's wonderful, but you have this whole creative community there. For instance, what does an artist like Michael contribute when he comes, and what are some of the other things you're doing along these lines, and and who's it for? Great question. So, you know, the, the world that we live in, you know, it's lost its creative imagination. You know, Mike does a series on imagination. Mike, that's one of the reasons I wanted you here. This, even if you weren't that great of a teacher, and you were, but just the title itself is like, there's got to be something. Mike, that title caused me to read your books, you know, the imagination series. Wow. And, so I'm, and I'm, so I'm like, okay. And first of all, I was very jealous and envious because I wanted that title after I heard it, but I got over it. And um, so... Maybe I'll come up with a different word that can use imagination to it. But that, that was like, that show unique. So that shared a little bit about who you were, you know. I had only heard your music up until then. But then I'm seeing like, whoa, this guy's writing. And not only is he writing, he's like studying the Bible, not just not the Bible. He's studying like the way God thinks. And like, whoa, this is so cool. And so, so at Lamplighter, we're trying to expose our college students and our staff and our community to all of the uniqueness, you know, creative excellence. Our mission here is to ignite a renaissance of creative excellence so that we might know God intimately, proclaim Him passionately, and enjoy Him infinitely. So if we set this, 
the bar really high and say, hey, this is, we want to live excellent lives in the way that we, you know, that we live our lives, the way that we, you know, write and create music, the way that we keep our landscape, the way that we keep our houses, the way, the way that we, you know, dress and walk and eat, e- even eating, even though that was a Michael's favorite thing to do. But, you know, whether we eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You know, so at the basic level, we want to really demonstrate to people that there's glory and beauty and majesty even in the basic things in life, because that, I believe, opens the door to the gospel. That's incredible, Mike. It really, I just love that. Yeah. So, Mike, you resonated with that. Oh, are you kidding? Uh, it's like being home. And, uh, and, and, mm. and every conversation that you have, especially over the meals, but, you know, had, was about who, who Jesus is and what does he mean and, and how can we uh, live that out? I mean, it's had a whole series of, uh, with Mark and as well with the other students. Yeah, you were interacting with college students then? Yeah, and yeah. they were an yeah. exceptional yeah. bunch. Mark, you were saying that you, you, you had never seen a group like this before. Never in my lifetime. I've been in ministry for almost um, 38 years. God has brought together a unique group. Um, they're, they're musically inclined. They're artistically inclined. You should see the artwork. I mean, my wife is a, like a museum-quality artist. Some of the work that's coming out of these students, it's like almost at that level. It's just amazing. And so they're, they're, we're put, putting on a musical drama right now. They have three weeks to prepare for this. It's, in, it's going to be on the life of Jacob. And you should hear their singing, their acting. And so, so all of these things put together, you know, it, what it does is it, it, it gives these students a recognition. It, it helps them to recognize that whatever they do, when they, when they live their lives to that high of an excellence, to that degree, what it, what it does is it invites God to be a part of it. You know, in Second in, uh, Peter chapter 1, it says that we're to add to our faith. That word add is the word core to choreograph. It's to, um, to choreograph at our own expense. And so we're choreographing our life. The pl- God's given us this unique platform here at Lamplighter to demonstrate to the world the very beauty of God through, guess what? To add to your faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. And so as we demonstrate those qualities on this unique platform, the students are developing, they're cultivating this new way of demonstrating the gospel to the lost, and it should be extremely attractive. And you are committed to the art form of drama, aren't you, Mark? Yeah, and here's the reason why, Wayne and Mike. Um, during uh, President Bush's um, presidency, he commissioned um, this group of intellects to study what was happening on a literary level in the United States, in fact, the entire Western civilization. At the end of their, their study, they concluded that only 5% of the entire North American continent was reading anything of value, and, uh, and only 5%. Wow. And so I'm thinking, like, wow, we're, we're, we're publishing books here at Lamplighter Ministries, and I'm, I'm only going to reach 5%. So I, I started asking the Lord, what could we do differently and it was immediate. I just happened, look, this is how God works. I just happened to be speaking at Focus on the Family the day that Dr. Dobson resigns. Someone turns and looks at me and says, have you ever considered putting your books in audio dramas? And I looked at them. Now, I, my kids grew up with Adventures and Odyssey and all that Focus on the Family did. And I looked at him and I said, yeah, eat, sleep, and drink and breathe the idea. I said, but you guys have all of the quality 
you know, you know, musicians and talent here and, and producers. And, and he looked at me and he goes, I think they're going to be looking for a job today. And uh, that day we met wow. with three of the, of the talents there. And Lamplighter Theater, putting our books and audio dramas, was born that day. And what a miracle it's been. We've got 33 dramas heard in 34 countries, and only God could do this. So you have the, you have the books, you have the, uh, functionally you have the school, you have the radio dramas, uh, and, but there's more to Lamplighter than that. What else? So we're looking at Lamplighter as a whole. So we've got the college students now. First, first we had the books, then we had the audio dramas, then we started a radio ministry called uh, Fast and Like Nails, and that's a very unique radio ministry. It's only, it only runs uh, a couple minutes every day, but what it does, Mike and Wayne, is in, the, in, the, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 8 through 11, it talks about, um, my son, listen to three main things. Listen to words of delight, words of truth, and words of the wise. Hmm. And as I was studying this, I'm thinking like, wow, words, God created words. That's how, that's how we communicate. God used words to create the world. He uses words to, to inform people of the gospel. And so I'm thinking, like, today, kids are reading you know, the, all this other stuff from Harry Potter to the dystopian, all the dystopian movies and literature, and I'm thinking, like, whoa, we're living in a day and age. This is, this is what dystopian literature does to kids. Ready for this? There are four main worldviews of dystopian literature and movies. Number one, do not trust parental authority. Mm. Number two, do not trust government authority. Number three, do not trust legal authority. And number four... Um, do not trust, I forgot what number four is. <laughs> but, but, <yeah. laughs> don't trust somebody. So, so probably here, church, here we probably church or theological. Oh, yeah, exact. Do not trust religion. Yeah. So, so uh, that's what's happening in our culture. It's already happening. And what it does is it causes them to want to create a new structure, a new government authority, a new rule for life, and a new rule for love. And they write their mm. own script but it's all subjective. And, uh, and what, they're, what they don't realize is they actually start to be oppressive until people join them with their view, because their view becomes the only view that's acceptable. It's happening in our culture today. And so I'm looking at this going like, whoa, what, what, how do we, how do we um, bring this around? How do we turn this around when people are buying this hook, line, and sinker? And what you have to do is we have to reach them. The Word of God is the only thing that changes people's lives. Yeah, yeah. So what we have to do yeah. is make the Word of God creatively beautiful in music, in art, in, in, in even in the way we eat. You know, Solomon, he, he, when the Queen of Sheba came to visit him, it wasn't just his wisdom that blew her away. It was the way his servants dressed, the way they ate, the way they prepared their foods, and their ascent to the house of the Lord. And when, they, when she saw all of that combined, there was no more breath in her. And I, So I think today... You know, as children of God, having Jesus living in us, we have the God of the universe living in us. That means that we can have the mind of Christ. We need to think like Him, start acting like Him, and start loving like Him. And when we do, you know, all of the creativity of who, of who God is starts to flow out of us, and we're willing to pay a price to do it. Mark, we're loving what you do. We really are. And I know Michael has for a long time, and I have as well. But uh, what is the point of intersection for people listening right now? I know we can you know, purchase the books and we can listen to dramas, but what would you say about a point of intersection with the people who are listening at this very moment? Yeah, so, so number one, we never want to take something away from our children. We want to give them something better. 
you, if you provide a substitute, that's always better than cutting the cutting kids off. And so whether they're adults or they're kids, I'd say begin. If they're not readers, you know, you, you want to listen to something. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So listen, go online at lamplighter.net, listen to some of the audio dramas. They are amazing. You know, we, we hire actors from Hollywood, from London, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia, Downton Abbey. We look for the best actors in the world. These, these dramas cost anywhere from two hundred to $500,000 just for one. And so we go all out. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Mm. Um, but we're, but mm. here's why we do it. We, we, have, we have made a commitment that we are going to do what, something that's better than what Hollywood does so that when kids listen to this, they're going to be like, whoa, don't turn this off. I want to hear the rest of this. So kids of all ages can start listening to this because you've got to change the way they think. And they've got to start hearing something that lodges in their heart. And, and what we've done is we've taken the Word of God and threaded it throughout the stories so, so that real faith can start to be exercised. Faith is a muscle to be exercised. And once it ignites inside a child or a teen or an adult, then they start wanting more. That's, that's the beauty of God's truth. You want more and more and more of it. And, and that's why in Ecclesiastes, he says, my son, beware of anything beyond delight, truth, and wisdom. And so once kids get exposed to delight, truth, and wisdom through stories, and they start hearing God's Word, God's Word starts entering their heart, and it starts to change. That's, that's, the, that's the beginning. And then, then from there, um, you want to get kids now to start reading the stories as well. Now, most kids don't like to read anymore. Now, this is, I, I was a lazy reader. I hated to read. Um, and the reason I hated to read is because reading is a direct parallel to character. I had a low level of character, high level of fear, high level of anxiety, low level of, guess what? Comprehension. Hmm. Children, children like me who are growing up have a high level of fear, high level of anxiety, um, and a low level of character. We generally have a high level of fear. And so we use, uh, our, we protect, self-protect ourselves, especially in academic settings, and we can't read real well because when you read at, with a high level of fear, or low level of comprehension, you read the same page over and over and over again. You read the same sentence over and over again, and you don't even know what you read. So you've got to break through that barrier of the mind. The mind and the heart are connected. And so when, you, when, faith, when you're reading stories where the Word of God is in there, what happens is, is you're breaking through those barriers where... You, you don't like to read, you have a low, and all of a sudden your character starts to change. As your character starts to change, your fear level starts to lower, and your level of comprehension starts to rise. And now kids start becoming readers. I've seen it happen so many times, I can't even count the times. And when they start reading, the Word of God comes alive, and they now want to read the Bible. It becomes alive for them. And, and I would say, Mark, you know, this, this connection between the heart and the mind is the imagination, which is where, what the books recapture. Mike, I got my hands in the air right now. Absolutely. <laughs> you both yeah. do, yeah. <laughs> well, and that's, that's, yeah. Really what, that's what Lamplighter does. I mean, through books and through uh, the radio dramas and through teachings. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It re, it's a rebirth of the imagination. Yeah. I wish we had another yeah, hour with Mark Hamby here, Michael. <laughs> but uh, even on a podcast, our time is limited. So, but God bless uh, you, Mark. And uh, you know, it, it's one. I know some of the folks who network with you and teach uh, there, like Michael does, and it's I, they come back all the time with just such great reports. So, thank you for uh, what you're praise doing. Praise God. Yeah. No, you're welcome. Hey, thanks guys for having me on, Mike. Of course. We'll look forward to having you here again, Mike. 
I'll be back like a toothache, Mark. (laughs) God bless. See you guys. You guys are great. All right. Michael, a great follow-up song now is your song, By Faith. By faith one was commended For the sacrifice he made Another out of holy fear Built an ark the world to save Another left his homeland And as a stranger he'd reside But none received the promise then And so in faith they died Others conquered kingdoms And quenched the fury of the flame Some made strong in battle Some were raised to life again But many more were martyred Amidst the crowd's loud clamoring By faith they would not bow the knee Or kiss the emperor's ring Faith understands and offers It assures and calms our fears It can shut the mouths of lions Make sense of scars and tears We persevere in hope And with conscience clean and clear We walk this fallen wilderness With salvation's pioneer Being sure of what we hope for, seeing what is yet unseen, a universe from nothingness, new life where none had been, the known made from unknowable, and hope for the comfortless, who hear and hold on firmly to the faith that they possess. our fears It can shut the mouths of lions And make sense of scars and tears We persevere in hope And with conscience clean and clear We walk this fallen wilderness With salvation's pioneer So fix your eyes upon the champion As you seek to run the race Understanding that he cheers you on As you long for his embrace So hold on and do not grow weary Of the faith that you profess Remembering that you are ringed around By this cloud of witnesses Faith understands and offers It assures our fears It can shut the mouths of lions And make sense of scars and tears We persevere in hope And with conscience clean and clear We walk this fallen wilderness With salvation's pioneers 
thankful for this song from Michael that wraps up this session of In the Studio. You can email your reactions when you write in the studio at michaelcard.com. And we look forward to reading your email. Again, in the studio at michaelcard.com. Or interact with other listeners when you post on the Michael Card Music Facebook page. And if you need more details about the resources we've talked about today, find us at michaelcard.com. We're excited about the partnership with our sponsors at the Christian Standard Bible when you visit csbible.com. This month, we're highlighting a wonderful companion resource that can aid you as you go deeper in the scriptures. When you visit csbible.com, search for the Christian Standard Commentary. Come explore the Bible books that interest you and see the new editions that are available. When you order, use the promotion code CARD40, typed with no spaces, to receive your 40% discount on CSB purchases through Lifeway. The Christian Standard Commentary at csbible.com. We hope you'll join us for next week's podcast release. For all of us on the team, Ron Davis, Susan Sermon, Lance Mansfield, and our producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. We're glad you've been with us for this edition of In the Studio with Michael Card.